Mary. Mary. I think we might have made a mistake leaving the Shire. stuff ordering's the two towers <laughs> so how are we feeling so one of the things that i wanted to do was when i kind of watched this movie it really made me kind of think of fantasy movies overall and like what i like really think about them and i went to my letterbox and one of the many lists that i have in my letterbox I have a list of my favorite 100 movies, uh, not like best one movies, like just my favorite 100 movies. Mm-hmm. And when I sorted the genres out, I kind of guess maybe it'd be maybe in the, the 20 to 25 range. Letterboxd told me of the 100 movies, only five of them were fantasy movies. And, and of the five, it was Batman 89, which... I, I don't really qualify uh, that as fantasy, <laughs> so so that doesn't count. Uh, so four Mat- Matilda, which I, I would give Matilda, I would give Matilda after Matilda Hook. Okay, which, yep. I, I would give Hook Last Action Hero, which that's <laughs> it's I can see it, but so we're at two that are yeah, like true fantasy movies. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the fifth one is the fifth element, which that's more sci-fi than fantasy. I, I would say that's way more sci-fi than actual fantasy. Yeah. So, so two. So two. <laughs> so two. Two of these motherfuckers are of my favorite hundred movies are like real fantasy. And of the movies that I've just just reviewed on letterbox that i've made entries on in total i think it's like over 400 reviews i've done and only like 70 have been fantasy so that's a much better ratio than two out of a hundred though yeah (laughs) the two percent is so funny (laughs) Uh, so and so i was looking at it and i'll kind of say i uh i tried doing the extended version i couldn't do it (laughs) i was at the i was at the hour mark and it was a conversation that aragon is it aragon is that how you pronounce it aragorn aragorn was having with gandalf and i was like you know i think i need to pivot to the standard and i fast forwarded to the place where that scene was taken out of and i noticed that they cut like a lot of shit (laughs) So I so so I went from like three hours left in the movie to like less than two hours of the movie left. Mm-hmm. And and so in the in the in the two hours of the standard edition I had left, I, I thought it was okay still, but I just kind of I was kind of wondering 
and I think it kind of hit me. I think Game of Thrones kind of ruined Lord of the Rings for me because while I prefer film to television, I think that the amount of time that Game of Thrones spent with those characters and with that story, I greatly appreciate it. And I feel like if I had watched Lord of the Rings, like in earnest in the theaters, like when it came out, I think I may have been a little bit more attracted to it, but I didn't necessarily dislike it, but I just had a real hard time kind of engaging with it. And I don't think I've ever hated a take as much as I hate this take. I mean, hey, hey, I like, I don't, I don't know what it is, man. Like, I was just, I was just there. I was watching. I was like, you know, we we introduced some more characters. There's, there's more. There's way more fighting than the first one. The feel good of the first one, at least the hobbits and like the the friendly stuff. Like, that's not necessarily there, but you get the, the crazy ass uh, Spiegel or whatever. I was. <laughs> I was, I was just, I was watching that bad boy, man. I was watching it, but why do you love, before I continue, why do you love Lord of the Rings to two hours so much? I mean, I think that it is objectively the perfect mix of action with plot progression. Uh, It gets the story significantly further forward. It doesn't feel like a transitional second movie. Like it is, but it doesn't feel like it because characters have their own arcs that are completing throughout it. I think it's really strong. Uh, I think it has some of the best action tracking of any movie ever. You can tell exactly where everyone is in every fight sequence. I would agree. I also think that it has some really beautiful character moments that show you how much the characters have changed just in the amount of time they've been on this quest. The dark stuff is darker. The light stuff is less to be found. And it makes you kind of remember why it seems important. And I think that it just does a really good job of raising the stakes while still moving a story forward and creating solid arcs and characters. I agree to all that. And that's so strange to me because it's <laughs> it's like it it may even sound strange that I agree with everything that you're saying and that I still couldn't get intimately like in depth or like building like kind of emotional connectivity with it. The last scene with, um, with Sam and so basically the the scene of like, he saved them from the dragon and they're talking and then that scene happens and that kind of dialogue about kind of saving his friend. I thought that was really well done and really well acted and really well written and I thought it was nice, and I liked that a lot. I can't do this, Sam. I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frugal. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? 
How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. Fertile. And it's worth fighting for. And I found myself kind of warming up to the movie when the battling started and how impressive the action set piece of that was. Mm-hmm. And you do top it off with that that now piece of everything as far as like the kind of the friendship storyline that was like really prevalent in the first movie that's almost absent in the second movie. That scene, because it's so great, it makes up for that. Mm-hmm. And you do see the emotional stakes of their relationship, but then also the, the other two hobbits that were with, you know, the, the tree people or whatever. And I, I know people want to hate me because I call them the tree people, but, but even their, even their relationship, you see that there's a level of maturity that they have to where they're not just like goofballs, like used for comedy setup. Like, oh, they learn. Yeah. Like you see them actually growing into like, you know, their characters and being like, more responsible and them actually contributing positively to the good side of the war. And so I think all that stuff is really there. And I think you brought up the character, the the other woman character. Aowen. Yeah. And so in the standard edition of the movie, you don't necessarily build a lot with her, but I think she has moments of niceness that I appreciated from her character and that the conflict of what her character is introduced now to where Aragorn's love is, you know, maybe tested and, you know, how is that actually going to play out in the third movie? I thought all that was, was, was fairly interesting. And it's kind of one of those things to where I can, I can see all the pieces and I can see how everything really does fall into place and amalgamate pretty greatly. But it's just something with fantasy films that I kind of have a hard time engaging with. And I really don't know why. And I think this is the, the, the best movie that is really making me question why I can't engage with it. And, you know, I, I feel I feel really bad because I feel like if I like fantasy movies, even like 15 percent more, I would be more engaged with this film. And I don't know, man, like I, I'm really kind of confused. I'm really kind of conflicted. Yeah, I mean, I'm really I'm intrigued by by that in a lot of ways, because I feel like I've had issues with people holding other fantasy properties and science fiction properties as well to the standards of Game of Thrones for a really long time. 
because especially I would say from about season four or five onward, I don't really think Game of Thrones was as concerned with making a fantasy show. Hmm. I would I, I would argue, see that. I would argue that the world building stagnates. It kind of becomes ye old political thriller uh, yep. with a, a whole bunch of just gross shit about women thrown in for, you know, good measure. <laughs> uh, I guess for those old world fantasy fans. Hilarious. And I think that I have noticed that a lot of people, because they are now used to kind of hypersexualized, hyperviolent fantasy, the patience for that kind of more gentle stuff. Not to imply that the two towers is gentle. There's a lot of violence in this movie, but like the, the there's also like a lot of like we're so far away from home. Like remember our bar where we used yeah. to go. Like remember, uh, I don't think you've gotten. Well, now I'm not sure. I want to make you watch Return of the King, but there's a a beautiful <laughs> scene in Return of the King where Sam is talking about how the thing that has been keeping him going is remembering the flowers in the girl he was in love with in the Shire's hair. Okay. And it's just like that one little thing, the way that she used to braid flowers in her hair is the thing that has been keeping him going this whole time. He wants to get home to that, you know, and, and Aragorn's purpose becomes bigger than I just want to survive this and do the right thing. And Arwen has a pretty tense couple of scenes with her father where her father finally goes, okay, fine. You know, but they have to really, work together to understand each other like all of those pieces reach their kind of natural nexus points where they again escalate and then resolve i don't think i hate game of thrones as much as it probably seems i do in this episode although i do have like a list of issues with it that's longer than my leg (laughs) but i think that at the risk of sounding like an asshole pretty much every episode of game of thrones with some exceptions, but most episodes have some sort of like flashbang thing to get people to pay attention, whether it's a battle, whether it's sex, whether it's a character death, like they have some big thing roughly per episode. There are some episodes that don't have it, but mostly they do. Yeah. To get people in. And some of them are character based, but not all of them. So I would, I would say, yeah. When you go to like season three, I think this season with the the red wedding, and even just the idea of the red wedding and like what that even kind of entails, like that's like hyper violent, you know, maximize, mm-hmm. and also like you're killing people that you have emotional investments with in like the most ter- one of the most terrible ways you can't do it. So I understand that, and for me though, like I would say the best episodes in Game of Thrones. It does have it does revolve around those large action set pieces. So uh the the battle of Hard Home, the uh the the battle of Blackwater Bay. Um, even for me, like I like the last season and the the the, the Army of the Dead battle when they actually are like fighting in that, I think the third or fourth episode. Like I, I like those episodes, but even for me, like the uh, characters like King Rob and Davos and Brianna Tarth, like I was able to get emotionally invested in those characters, and especially King Rob, who has no action. He just gets killed. But Brianna Tarth, like, I, I love her because one of the things I love about her, not all of it, but one of the pieces is she's a, an amazing, she's an amazing warrior. 
mm-hmm. and she is continually overcoming odds you know that are kind of thrown in her way because she's a woman but i love her because she i think something deep inside her is always trying to battle to kind of prove herself and i, I love davos because he's just like the realm's greatest grandfather uh, but even still mm-hmm. like he's a veteran of battle like you see him fighting multiple times so so the action is there but I think I have way more emotional connectivity to characters who are not the main characters because if Game of Thrones is only a show of just of only just the Starks and only just uh, the big houses without those other small pieces actually churning the wheels, I don't think I could really get invested because I don't necessarily like the Starks for the most part. I think for the most part they're overrated, and I I do not like. Um, Danny, I think she is completely overrated and completely misunderstood, even in the sense that I think a lot of people became fans of hers, but not necessarily recognizing like how terrible of a person she kind of is, even in the odds of her like becoming extraordinarily emotionally and physically abused in the first season. But when you go like in the further seasons, kind of beyond that, she kind of shows her hand as kind of like a genuinely bad person i think but i think i'm in a minority opinion of that but i do agree with you to the sense that i think a lot of people with thrones the reaction set pieces really kind of brought them in and kind of kept them there but i know for me like i think it's a it's a mix of both but the thing is though i think that lord of the rings has a mix of both as well and i think the first movie particularly you have the emotional investment and someone that does carry over into the second film but then also you have the second film kind of climax with that large action set piece. But everything kind of leading up to that, I was just kind of like, all right, so now we're getting more characters. I'm trying to, you know, figure out their kind of stakes in the film now. I'm trying to really figure out, you know, where everything's kind of going. I know where everything is eventually leading to, but I'm still trying to really get invested in these people. And I don't know, I just kind of had a hard time with doing that. And I know you kind of had the question of maybe we shouldn't do the the next movie. Um, And to be very honest, I had that kind of, I wonder that too, if I like wanted to watch the last movie and. Live from an undisclosed location in a basement in New York city. It's me, Craig ruler. Well, mayor of dimension X and the producer of the hottest new pod in that dimension or this one the shredhead pod starring the blazing betty aka google chrome dome aka ado nobu nigga aka my best friend oroku saki aka the shredder and we put aside our differences with the ninja turtles to be your weekly source of hot takes sports and entertainment news Stay all the way and hear who Saki has named as his Cretan of the Week, and find something valuable in the Shred Commendations. So we'll see you on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever your pods are casts. The Shredhead Pod is a member of the Hyphen Podcast Group. I think I do. I think I do for the sense of I do want to enjoy the emotional payoff of how the movie is going to end as old as this movie is i i I mean i think i know what happens at the end but i don't know like everything honestly Mm -hmm. and so i am interested to see specifically 
how how it ends to kind of see what sort of emotional stakes there are in the film. One of the things I kind of theorized in the other episode that we did is that I think maybe I need to see the, the totality of it to get a better appreciation of the pieces. Mm-hmm. And so I want to give it a chance for that. And so I, I, I do want to watch it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can do the extended version. Um, but I'll I'll be honest. It's not going to make sense now that you've skipped out on the extended version of Two Towers. And the thing okay. that is really like I think that the extended edition of Two Towers does really well is it does give you more of those character moments for the newer characters, but not until after the first hour of the film. Like Did there's you- a lot of kind of depth added to. Faramir especially uh you learn a lot more about the kingdom of Gondor which is really helpful information to have in going to Gondor in the next movie you know so there's uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that I think you probably would have latched on to but I get not necessarily wanting to make that commitment did you watch the standard versions of all these first or did you watch extended versions first I watched the standard versions as uh, like eight or ten year old Okay. Uh, and then we moved to the extended editions around 13. And I've watched the standard since, but I just prefer the extendeds. I think they're better. When you watch them, do you ever like break them up or do you watch them like in one sitting? I usually break them up the way they're broken up on the DVDs because the DVDs do a really good job of like bringing them to thematic endpoints. Okay. So like the first one, the fellowship, the extended edition ends like the fellowship is formed and that's the end of disc one. So the beginning of disc okay. two is them setting off on the adventure. See, man. Okay. So now that you're saying that, I feel kind of cheated. <laughs> um, um, I told you to do that. So, but that's the kind of thing. Like, I'm kind of, so I'm. I literally I, told you. There's I, evidence. Play back the tape. I know, but like, so. So my thing is, but I didn't, and then I complained that it wasn't interesting because I didn't do the thing you told me to make it bearable, and now my actions have consequences, and I don't like them. Hilarious! Come on. So my thing is, I'm really big on watching the director's vision of of their projects, and so if Stanley, I know we don't do this anymore, and we actually probably should, but when Stanley Kubrick throws in intermission. When Francis Ford Coppola throws in intermission, I can mentally kind of accept that, okay, I'm prepped to have a break. And so when we moved away from the intermission section and we just have these like long movies, I think, oh my God, I think it, I think I would have been better if it happened. <laughs> I think I, I should have did it, Kat. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I gave you cheat codes to make the game yeah. easier and then you quit the game because it was too hard ah! and, and the funny thing is i i the scene that i i stopped watching i'm very certain it was a it was very certain it was an important scene because and so the scene i stopped watching when gando talks to aragon i didn't watch any part of it but then in the standard edition he kind of Ganondorf just is just gone and then he comes back and I'm like the moment that he came back I was like fuck <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> yep good job yeah yep. so uh <laughs> I believe that the the stopping point in the second one 
is they get to Gondor and do, is the scene where Theoden kicks out or like Wormtail really kicks out Carl Urban. Like it's a pretty intense scene in the extended editions. Is that in the, the regular cut? I don't think it is. No, um, I don't think it is either. Yeah, cool. So he kicks out his only surviving son because Wormtail tells him to. And it's like a whole big thing. And like half of Rohan wants to leave, but there's orcs in them, their hills. And, you know, by casting out his son, he has sent Carl Urban and Carl Urban's friends to die. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. yeah. That's kind of the central conflict of, of that part of the movie. <laughs> and it also explains to you exactly what Wormtongue is doing and why it is bad and how it is different from how things used to be. And uh, I think that they arrive, realize something is wrong. And then the Ents are starting their Ent Council. And then Frodo and Sam, I believe, make it. I think it's the don't uh, don't follow the lights is roughly where the pause is. So oh, the, the big okay. problem has been introduced. Okay. Uh, the right. Ents are trying to decide if they want to intervene. And Frodo and Sam have reached, uh, uh, they're starting to realize that this is perhaps more dangerous than they initially thought. And that's where the pause is. Okay. <laughs> and then it it takes back up again, I believe. They may actually have cast out Wormtongue and that's where it ends. And it starts with them getting ready for the battle uh, at Helm's Deep and figuring out you know, what they're going to do there. And then Frodo and Sam Gollum is continuing to sow mistrust between them. Oh shit. I don't think that is in the regular at all. Cause like, so in the regular edition, it's basically, even though he's between Frodo and Sam, it's kind of like Sam is being hyper aggressive toward Gollum. And actually I, this part of the film, I actually like, cause you see the growth of Frodo, you see that, in the face of everyone being super negative, he's still giving him chances. He's still protecting him. He's still trying to nurture him in the way that he can, which I, I did appreciate. Mm -hmm. But there's no actual scene of where they're getting kind of pitted against each other. In the standard edition, it kind of happens naturally. So, so, so yeah. I didn't yeah, see that and then you're also introduced to Faramir, and you learn a lot more about him, and uh, you learn about Boromir and how really Boromir's fatal flaw was actually his idealism, and that was what the Ring was like capitalizing on. And he's always been trying to help Faramir get a leg up in the world. He suggested that Faramir go on the quest because he wanted his father to be proud of Faramir. You learn so much more about him. You learn so much more about Faramir. Um, basically, their dad's an asshole because Faramir like wrote poetry, but is still a very strong warrior. And um, you learn a lot more about their depth and his complicated feelings about helping the people that caused his brother's death, but also the relief of his brother being gone at the same time and that guilt that is associated with that. Yeah, there's a bunch of good stuff. <sighs> Lordy Lord. Okay, oh, you so. also learn more about King Theoden and like the connection with Rohan. You also learn how Aragorn is half elf and that he's the king of Gondor, which I know is like touched on in the first one, but it's really like explicitly stated here. You also learn that Arwen is dying of being sad and she's walking through the woods with the elves. They're trying to send her to the Undying Lands because uh, the elves are like trying to leave the world because the time of elves is over. And, uh, she has a vision of her future and she sees her children with Aragorn and she decides to stay. The closer she gets to the Undying Land, the fainter 
her the visions of her children get so she she goes back oh yeah and none of she that she would too. she would rather risk dying alone than without any of her people than she would missing that future yeah i haven't seen any of that shit <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um you also learn a lot more about aon and uh like both of her parents were killed and she has always wanted to fight but has always been told that she can't because she's a woman and she has a lot of resentment about that especially because she is just as competent as any of the men but she also wants to be a lady uh she has a really hard time because a lot of the men are afraid of her and that's why she and aragorn connect because he respects her as a warrior and as a lady even though it's Uh, never really explicitly romantic she's really trying to push it to that place and he isn't but she's the first example of what she deserves that she has ever encountered no i got that sense of it well that he wasn't that he wasn't necessarily feeling i got that sense of it and i think in the standard edition it's more kind of played as so there's a por- there's a portion of it to where it's a little bit played as if he is actually going to like you know try to fall for her also but then toward the end they kind of play it as more of a um unrequited love kind of thing but it's like it's not necessarily explicitly stated either way. So you like you're more so the viewer is more so kind of left to making their own decision about uh, what they think is actually going to happen or not. But yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. use feeling at all. So in the extended editions, I think the first like the 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 two towers is more about him trying to figure her out and like the lay of the land, who she is, what she wants, you know, what her goals are. And then in the second one, it it turns into much more of like, I won't say a sibling relationship, but she kind of accepts that he is in love with someone else and like is in love with someone else. Like it's not going to happen for her, but they still continue to help each other and care deeply for each other. So let's actually kind of go back to the idea of, I know you're kind of saying that Game of Thrones is kind of, you know, sort of warped, you know, a lot of people's kind of perception of fantasy do you know of anyone personally that kind of feels a way of i watch lord of the rings i grew up on lord of the rings and then i also watch and watch all the game of thrones but now i don't like lord of the rings as much as i do anymore or that that like is diminished i don't think it's like that i think it is people that start with game of thrones have trouble diversifying to other fantasy properties i think is the specific problem because they're like, where are the titties? Where's the murder? Where's my dragons? <laughs> and like a lot of fantasy is a slow burn to that. Like even the books are a slow burn to the intrigue, right? I really like the Game of Thrones books. I think they're good. I've read the first four. Okay. And like all that, a lot of that gross stuff is still in there. But, you know, there's also 150 pages of them traveling. And that's two to three characters two to three times per book. So you learn about the economies of the little villages they pass through. And like, oh, yeah. you know, you get a lot more character moments of them on the road. Uh, you learn about how different types of magic work, stuff like that, right? Like that yeah. just does not exist in the show, really. At least not yeah. to the same extent. Yeah, not really. No. Um, was I missing the titties and Lord of the Rings? Uh, I, 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 mean, I can't say either way. Even from I, the I get movie, it. You're here for the cheeks. I mean, I'm I'm always here for the cheeks, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but even I mean, even the first movie, like the first scene, is just being with uh with the hobbits, like 
you're immediately told, and this is made, you know, way before Game of Thrones is even in the mix culturally, but you're at least told like right away that like this is the tone that we're gonna go for, and then we're gonna mix in, you know, kind of the violence of it, but you're gonna have kind of the whimsicalness of our universe but then also you're going to get kind of the wild action shit eventually so i can kind of see especially when you know titties and fantasy didn't really mix necessarily um in the late 2000s also at the risk of sounding like a stereotypical angry feminist go for it i might argue that there is more in life to fight for than the titties and I think that this movie does a beautiful job of showing many different types of life that oh, yeah. people all want to go back to. And yeah. some are able to do that more than others. Dilbo tried to go back and he he couldn't hack it. He couldn't be normal again. Yeah. You know, and uh, and all Sam wants is to go back and be normal. And Gandalf had a BDSM fight in a pit. Like hilarious. Hilarious. And, and those are all valid and things that they want and, and are accepted to go back to. The only things that are considered unacceptable in this world are the forces that are trying to disrespect the way other people live. So Sauron is killing the trees and destroying the world, the natural world. Yeah. That is the biggest disrespect. Like, yes, it's bad that he's working with the the evil, but... The reason he dies, the reason he gets his comeuppance is because he is disrespecting a life that that these things live, that these creatures live. And so even at my letterbox uh, review of this, it does mention kind of me being affected by Game of Thrones. But I would say even what you kind of talked about as far as like the political intrigue that people are attracted to in Game of Thrones, it's not present in Lord of the Rings in the aspect <laughs> uh respect and and love in all different forms like that is actually not present in Game of Thrones very much like there's there's obviously characters that love each other but in the way that they move they don't move in the name of love they only move in the name of political greed. power and, and greed. greed it's greed Game yeah. of Thrones has no goddamn respect. Yes. And well, like that's getting at the flamethrower. Yes. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. But yeah. Lord of the Rings is about respect and tolerance. And I say that, and I'm aware that's very rich coming from me right now, right? Because uh <laughs> the Lord of the Rings show is about to come out, and there are a bunch of women characters, and there are characters of color, and there are women of color, and like Tolkien nerds are big mad about it. But Tolkien nerds were big mad that there were two women in the movies. I mean. Because they were like, what about my dudes? Um, (laughs) So like, I get it. You know, like, I think that it's kind of rich to say that it's about respect, but the people who get it, the people who, who, who get it is, is all there is to it. Yeah. Get it. And I think to me, like, I know we've talked before about like, earnestness being so horribly like outdated but like game of thrones <laughs> isn't earnest absolutely like, even the end of game of thrones is like hey she's a nazi nice bet oh, we man. fooled your dumbass, huh um oh, it was all there but 
Yeah. And also, like, even even in making naming Bran King, his nickname is kind of a joke. Like, they're being mean to him. He's like, ah, King Bran the Broken. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you couldn't go with any of the things he does well. Not Bran the Smart, Bran the Telepath, Bran the Broken. A brand, a brand the wise, brand the compassionate, brand, brand the intuitive, brand the fucking magic. Nope. Game of Thrones has got no respect. And one might argue that it's more realistic that way, but fuck you. It's my fantasy world. If there are elves and dragons and dwarves and shit, I'm gonna imagine some goddamn respect. Bitch, I'm telling you the truth. The viewers cannot see me flexing. I am flexing. Yes, cat. Absolutely. And, like, at the end of the day, that's okay. And, like, spoiler alert, this movie has, like, Two Towers has a pretty, or not Two Towers, um, Return of the King has a pretty happy ending. And fuck you, it's okay to want that. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. And so, I, and then the funny thing is, I I love the fact that we agree on, I agree with everything you're saying. Like, Thrones has no respect. It, it really does it, and <laughs> I mean, it, it really does it, and and yeah, you can argue that it's more realistic because if you're talking about kind of political maneuvering, you know, the, the best political maneuver uh, maneuverers they don't respect anything except power. They don't even really respect themselves; they just respect power. And so, I think from that respect of it depending on where you kind of fall on that may kind of suede you to liking one more than the other. But I totally agree with what you're actually saying about the, the, com- the comparison between both of those properties. So I, I see the vision cat. Well, I also think it's like, here's, here's a metaphor, right? One is like Olympic fencing, right? And one is like an actual battle to the death with swords. <laughs> they are both like kind of doing the same thing. Like they both have swords. They are both a fight between two individuals. They both have rules, but like they don't look the same at all. Their yeah. value system is not the same at all. And that doesn't make one necessarily like more correct than the other. Yeah. There's room for dirty, shitty, gross sexual fantasy in the fantasy umbrella. There's room for idealistic fantasy under the fantasy umbrella. You know, there's room for men who cry under the fantasy umbrella. It's all there. This is why it makes me sad that a lot of people are like, oh, I only like Game of Thrones. Because it is also like, okay, so then what's your favorite like murder mystery cop procedural? Because like, it's the same ingredients. Yeah. Just in a fantasy wrapper, which is fine. It's a beautiful fantasy wrapper. They do a wonderful job with it. And I, I think that the world is a fun one to play in. But it's okay to have, like, hope in your fantasy, and you're not weak for wanting that. There it is. There it fucking is. And, and I'm very certain I'm not going to see anything in The Lord of the Rings that has an episode end with someone's skull being crushed, and you actually see it being crushed. So the, the coothness of Game of Thrones. It, it, well, outside of the first season... Everything else after the first season, it it really kind of puts everything on 10. And I think that's why people were attracted to it a lot until their favorite woman character turned out to do the exact same thing to everyone in Westeros. So, (laughs) so well, I also think, though, that like 
Game of Thrones is the not like other girls of fantasy. <laughs> there it is. Yes. And when people who perhaps in the past had felt that their desire to watch a show about knights had in some way uh, diminished their like god guns and you know whatever kind of masculinity game of thrones stepped right up and knocked all those fears out of the park and said you know here's your titties here's your blood here's your gore basically don't you feel like more of a man now i don't want to say that game of thrones in a lot of ways has become the like super straight of the world but it kind of has become the super straight fantasy and i also think a lot of people I know flaked off of Game of Thrones when the next season of Breaking Bad came back. And, oh, my favorite character's dead now. So, like, I'm just going to go back to watching Breaking Bad or whatever other hyperviolent TV drama was happening. <laughs> like, you know, and I, I've dressed up as Daenerys. I like the character. I like her a lot more in the book. But, like, I still like her. She's someone I've, I've cared about for, like, most of my, like, half of my life now. Oh, yeah. But, like... I'm aware that science fiction packaging might be more comfortable for people generally, but I think yeah. Lord of the Rings and Dune are more similar than they are different in terms of oh. ideology, in terms of character, in terms of co- like packaging even. I agree with that. And I love Dune. So may- maybe this maybe this is a turn. I don't know. This I, I think that's also just why I'm having such a hard time trying to figure out what isn't working for you. I don't know. So I think I think I I I think I am gonna try to and revisit like, the extended version. I'm I know it's I know it's a lot of talk, but if you can listen to them talk about the Quisak Hadarak for two hours and you can't read the goddamn Elvish subtitles, that says a lot more about <laughs> you than it says about me. Um hilarious. Not you specifically. I know that you are very smart and tolerant and a good person and all that shit. So not you, but, but like the general you. <laughs> You already gonna, know my two cents about people who choose not to read subtitles. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, and I think I'm going to give it another shot. Do you so want me to I, send you the literal time codes for the, the pauses? Yeah, send that okay. to me. So I watch it a little bit fucked up. Um, well, not like intoxicated, but I watched it. I started the extended version like at night at like eight o'clock or some shit like that. So I, I was fucking up. viewers at home i wish you could see the face that i made i can only describe it as when the puppeteer using kermit the frog makes their hand into a fist hilarious yeah i I was kind of fucking up on this one so i'm not gonna lie but i I, you know i appreciate the honesty (laughs) i do i don't there's no i'm not gonna lie there's no purpose of lying about anything i'm excited to see you maybe like it more okay and i i think you i think you might so so send me send me the the time for that and fellowship not fellowship um actually no send for all three movies send for all three movies okay yo 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 before we get out of here after the recording with cap i was kind of thinking about the question as to why i have a, a problem or I have just some kind of disconnect where I can't really get emotionally connected to fantasy movies. And I'm in the middle of watching playoff basketball between the Timberwolves and Clippers. And it kind of hit me out of the blue. 
I think I have big trouble with connecting with those films because it just seems that there's no nuance in between good versus evil. The good guys are always going to be the good guys and the bad guys are perpetually going to be the bad guys. And I think for Lord of the Rings, there's no real question if the hobbits are going to turn hill or if Aragorn is going to, you know, clap Frodo or sabotage the mission or anything like that. And the bad guys in Lord of the Rings are so evil that, you know, that the only way they're going to get stopped is get killed. And with Game of Thrones, one of the reasons I love that show a lot is because they had a real nuance and a real serious question of what is good, what is evil. Characters that were good weren't necessarily smart and they didn't survive. And characters who initially were bad had a chance to get redeemed. And hell, even in the process of getting redeemed, they didn't get fully redeemed in some cases. So to toe the line between kind of good and evil, having kind of variances in between, I, I really appreciate. And I think Lord of the Rings has a lot of nuance in other areas when you talk about the ideal of friendship and of protecting good and, you know, facing evil. I think they do those things really well. But I think that the nuance of the gray areas in between what is good and what is not I enjoy when films and when stories can kind of play in that area also. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Peace. Follow Cat at Cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark. Be sure to read us at catseasmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob.wordpress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?